Welcome to D4 Sports, Day Drinking with Don and Dustin. I'm Don. And I'm Dustin. We're coming to you from Lubbock, Texas. And London, England. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get to it. Welcome, everyone, to episode four of D4 Sports. Uh, Episode four, A New Hope, as we are calling it. Want to take a minute and say thanks for everybody who's tuning in. Dustin, I know we, we said, we asked you the question, did you ever think we'd get to episode two? And you weren't sure, but now we're at four. And, and how are you feeling? How, how's the momentum? Are you feeling good about this? What, where are you at? I'm feeling pretty good about this. I mean, it's something that we got to keep going and doing, obviously. It's been enjoyable. I've, you know, trying to keep up with everything and trying to stay on top of it has been has been fun just because it's sports in general and i probably would do it without doing the podcast so uh, throwing this in the mix makes it makes it more fun for sure what about you but it really yeah no it's interesting because i I would definitely say i'm somebody that follows sports closely no matter what i'm doing but as i'm sitting here now thinking about you know trying to talk about things interestingly to a broader audience it definitely makes me dive in even deeper. And it, I, you know, I'm going to just say it. It gives me a deeper respect for, uh, you know, sports reporters, sports journalists, sports podcasters, because, you know, you know I, I've, I've got a full-time job. You've got a full-time job. We've got families. We've got lives outside of this. And, it, you know, it, to keep on top of stuff it, and really have something to say about it, it, it does take something. So, well, you have uh, to be well-prepared. You have to be educated. you got to know what you're talking about. Um, you can't just throw it out there and, and, and hope it sticks. Well, well-prepared and educated is pretty much synonymous with who we are, isn't it? I would, I would say so. It's right <laughs> up there. Right up there. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, we're going to get going here. Um, I just want to, again, say thanks to anybody who's listened to this point. I'd like to just, you know, offer a, uh, an encouragement. You know how this podcasting game works by now. Um, you know, if you could leave a review, if you give a like, you post on social media, you know, say something positive about us, get the word out, we'd really appreciate it. We are definitely going to try to make this something for the long haul that we enjoy. And whether it turns into the next great show or whether it's just something fun that Dustin and I do together, um, would really appreciate any support you can offer. So uh, just want to say again, thanks for sticking with us to this point. We hope to continue to deliver on some interesting stories. And uh, anything you can do to help us get the word out, we'd really appreciate. Well, we're going to start today's show off with uh, just some top stories, uh, you know, top, top, top sports stories uh, of the week. And, uh, you know, I'll, uh, we'll kind of go back and forth here a little bit. I'll start the interesting tidbit number one. When the Packers play at home this year, and then this technically already happened in the preseason, but when they play at home this year, it will be the first time since 1991 that the Packers will not have either Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers on their roster. That's unbelievable. 32 years. 32 years. That's. Can you think of any other team that has approached that level of consistency at quarterback? No. <laughs> To, to have two guys that are there as long as they were is, is hard to do in, in any sport, not just at, at quarterback. I mean, I guess I can think of in terms of basketball, you've got the Spurs with Tim Duncan, Ginobili, and Parker, but that mm-hmm. wasn't 32 years. Yeah. It, it, I, I, I don't think that – I mean, 
great players, no doubt. But, I mean, you talk about Favre and Rodgers, you talk about two of the greatest quarterbacks of, like, the previous generation and this generation, right? Right. Yeah. That, that end yeah. up on the same team, um, going through the same system for the most part. I know it changes throughout the coaching regime, but at the same time, yeah. um, staying where they are for as long as they did. Yeah. The, the only team I can think of, you know, and I think that the, the kind of the go-to example for that sort of quarterback continuity is the 49ers with Montana and Young. But, I, you know, I was looking, and I think, I think Montana played 10 or 11 seasons with the Niners, and Steve Young played seven or eight. So I think you're talking 19 years. I don't think you get anywhere near that. I was, I was trying to find another team. That gets, I mean, you, you obviously have some of these long-tenured quarterbacks like Roethlisberger for the Steelers, but they went through, you know, Bubby Brister and Neil O'Donnell before him and, and whatnot, you know, and, and there's just really not uh, – you know, frankly, Bledsoe had a pretty good career in, in New England five or six years before Brady's, whatever, 18 there. But, yeah, no, the, the Packers, man. Uh, big change. And, of course, Jordan Love, I mean, I guess I'm going to have to call him your boy this year, right? Jordan Love's your boy now? Yeah, I guess we can go with that. i got to figure out, you know, who all he's <laughs> going to throw it to. But, yeah, he'll be my boy. We'll, we'll go with that. There you go. All right. The second one that I wanted to throw out, great little tidbit, I would say the greatest non-streak comes to an end. And just last night, the Ravens lost in the preseason for the first time after 24 straight wins. The Ravens had yep. not lost a preseason game since 2015. Which is unbelievable. I mean, because yep. how many guys are you throwing into a preseason game? You're seeing what works. You're <laughs> yeah. seeing what doesn't, right. right? You're going for it on fourth down when you don't really have a shot just to right. see what you can do, throw some plays out there. So to have that kind of a run speaks to just, I don't know, an incredible so it's uh, stat. It's something. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, and it's interesting because, you know, obviously people, the reporters all talked about it afterward, and Harbaugh was like, how can you say this game's meaningless? And we're like... Come on, Harbaugh, the game's meaningless. I mean, it's preseason. I mean, it's cool, you know, great that you get out there and you teach your team to win. And, and I mean, you know, I, anytime you take the field, you should play to win. But by the same token, I've, I, I think, you know, we have texted back and forth over the years about teams. They get down, it's fourth and two with the 10-yard line, and they kick a field goal in preseason. And I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, why not work on your fourth down conversion you know i mean i i don't get it yeah or being down one or sorry being down seven scoring a touchdown and kicking the extra point to tie the game like why would you do that there's <laughs> exactly there's no point yeah. to it go for no, two see what you got see how it works yeah and <laughs> just it's, doesn't make any sense no it's i mean I, I don't know you know i'll never you know one of the one of the great stories i think of Somebody asked Don Shula one time, what do you see as the next great innovation in sports? And Shula said, and this is back in probably 90s, Shula said, someday there will be a team that never punts. Right? And I think we've seen in the last decade, after the rise of analytics, a lot more teams going for it on fourth down because number of possessions definitely equates to points in the NFL. I mean, there's no question about that having the ball, simply having the ball and the number of possessions you score on goes a long way. But for me, in the preseason, why punt? I mean, literally almost, why punt? Why not 
give it a shot on fourth and eight because you're going to be in the season sometime and you're going to be facing fourth and eight when the game on the line. Why not do it? And I think analytics becomes a huge part of the game. I mean, um, and not just football, in sports in general. Yeah. I and mean, you've got the movie Moneyball with um, oh, yeah. the, the Oakland Athletics, and it was all analytics. Um, but I was kind of you, – you mentioning that makes me think – Texas Tech last year ran mm-hmm. 52 fourth down plays. <laughs> so their, wow. their conversion rate was pretty high, but 52 times they decided, yeah. you know what, we're going to give it a shot. And I think that was all, maybe not all, but mostly an analytical move. We think we where we are and how, you know, what play we're going to run is going to give us the advantage to get that first down. Oh, there's no doubt. And, and I mean, in fact, I was looking – and this is NFL, so I'd have to you know check and see what college stats are. But I was thinking, you know, what's average yards per play? And like middle of the pack, average yards per play in the NFL was like almost five yards a play. The NFL teams get almost five yards per play. Now, of course, you know that's there's a significant variance, right? I mean, if you get sacked, you lose ten, right? And obviously, fourth and one, people. Are, the play calling is different and and all these sorts of things. But the reality is, and this is again, the analytics part versus the coach trying to keep his job part, right? If it's fourth and one at your own 29 yard line, you know, do you go for it? I mean, honestly, most likely you're gonna get a yard in the NFL, but if you don't and you give up the touchdown, you know, it's the the coach loses his job and everything else, right? And gotta answer the question, so. Right. Yeah. All right, so third story, big story, and I don't know if any of our listeners saw this, but over this last weekend, uh, Carlos Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic played a pretty darn epic match in Cincinnati for the final. Three hours and 49 minutes for a three-set match is the longest three-set ATP final since they've gone to three-set finals, which happened in 1990. They used to play five sets in the finals, but they only play three now. And just phenomenal tennis. Dustin, how excited are you for the U.S. Open? I'm actually excited about the U.S. Open. Um, I enjoy mm-hmm. watching tennis. I enjoy following it. Um, I think we had mentioned earlier that with Djokovic still playing, um, he's playing at the highest level that he's been playing mm-hmm. at. Um, and yeah, well, I didn't even say, to... but yeah, he Djokovic won the match. Yeah, it's 7-6 in the third. There was... Tiebreakers on both the second and third. He lost the sec- uh, won the second and the third, I guess. I guess he won them both, yeah. Right, and so Alcaraz is going to have to come and take it. I mean, I think we both agree that Alcaraz is, as of right now, the next up-and-coming guy that could, could mm-hmm. definitely take the mantle. But he's got to take it, like we've said. It's not going to be something yeah. that's just going to be handed off to him. Um, and there's been a couple mas- matches recently where Djokovic has had to play pretty good just to beat him. Um, I think it was, was it the French that Alcaraz got hurt and Djokovic kind of took advantage of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where he cramped up, yep. Right. So, uh, but Wimbledon was one where Djokovic just came out and Alcaraz had the opportunity and just didn't follow through with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, it, well it's interesting. I mean, these, these hard courts, right? And, <clears throat> I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of differences in these hard court matches. And the Cincinnati courts are pretty fast. And actually, Alcaraz went to three sets in every single match uh, in the tournament, which is surprising, uh, given that he didn't necessarily play a lot of top, top guys. 
but then really rose to just a brilliant. And I, I, I honestly, you know, the game, the match was on here at one in the morning, so I didn't get a chance to see it live. But I've seen significant amounts of the replays. Just brilliant tennis, brilliant shot making on both of their parts. And it was hot. I mean, it was 90 degrees uh, when the match started in Cincinnati. Terrible humidity. Just brutal conditions. They played almost four hours of phenomenal tennis. And I just got to say, this is setting up to be one of the most memorable U.S. Opens maybe ever. I mean, I, th I think it, let's just hope they get to the finals and, and face off against each other in the finals and we get just a truly epic you know, incredible match. Right. Um, thinking of the U S open, it, it kind of falls in line for me with like the, you know, March madness or the NCAA tournament. I think in the first round, you absolutely love to see those upsets. You're kind of like, Hey, mm -hmm. Medvedev mm -hmm. lost in the first round. Are you kidding yeah. me? <laughs> yeah. But then when it comes down to it, you don't want to see the no name guys in the finals. You absolutely no. want to see Djokovic and Alcaraz, duking it out the two top guys just going after each other and that's that's what you would want to see in march madness you want to see the two best teams okay who's the best one who do we have going to come out yeah. on top so i kind of hope it falls in line with what you're saying i'd like to see uh you know some upsets you know maybe first second round but after that you kind of want to see the level just rise yeah because i mean especially in the era of the big three right uh, it's been so many times you get the you know, the greenhorn, the young guy, the Cinderella who comes in and makes it to the final and they get to the final and they just collapse because the, the moment gets too big for them. And, and, you know, the experience of, well, now Djokovic, he's, I mean, Nadal will be playing. Um, and of course, Federer is retired. So, you know, it's just, you, you, I'm totally with you. What you really want to see is the clash of the Titans because, and especially in this case, I mean, as good as Djokovic is playing, I two years tops for him. You think? I Left. mean, I, I yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, you know, is it one of those? You know, he wants to go out on top. Does he know how much he has left in the tank, or does he want to get to a point where he fizzles out and the greatness isn't there? He still has the records. He still has, you know, who is he? But. At what point do you say, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and walk away now? Well, that's a curious one with Djokovic, right? Because, <laughs> let's face it, of the big three, the jo Djokovic is the least well-liked. He's right. the least <laughs> beloved. And yet he is the guy who more than either Federer or Nadal obviously wants the praise. And... Yeah, he might, if he hangs on two more years, three more years, he might be able to get one or two more majors, maybe. But he's going to have to go through some tough players. But if he fizzles at the end of his career, that just kind of, that almost goes against his legacy. So maybe it's in his best interest to, you know, walk away after next year and just say, you know what, had a great run and get what he can get next year and, and call it a day. I, I, but I, but I don't see him doing it. I, I see him fizzling, which is too right. bad. And, and I think it was the French Open when he was just kind of taking it to Alcaraz after Alcaraz was cramping up. And I believe that the fans were booing Djokovic. And yeah. maybe, not, maybe not to the extent that it was like, That's tough, you know, though. detrimental. I mean, you're, 
Yeah, when you're playing an injured opponent, what are you going to do? You know? Right, and I, it does put him in a spot, but like you stated, he is, out of the three, the most disliked, right? Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. is the one that feeds off of other people's praise for him. He wants to be the yeah. guy where he's cheered everywhere he goes, and yeah. um, so it, it does play that that interesting role in, in his story, yeah. or like you said, in his legacy. Yeah. Well, let's just hope. Let's hope that whatever, three weeks, a month, from, it's only about three weeks from now, U.S. Open final, we get a rematch, Djokovic and Alcaraz. I think it could be phenomenal. All right, I got one more, and this is just a, this is a quickie, right? Greatest names in sports right now. <laughs> Greatest name, and you know, Key and Peel set the bar with their skits, you know, on, you know, just the the ridiculous, you know, Hingle McCringleberry and everybody else. And if you haven't ever seen somehow. The Key and Peele's sketches on, uh, you know, whatever the you know the college bowl game and, and and the introductions of the players and everything else. You need to do yourself a favor and go watch it. But it's only like I, three to four minutes of your day. You'll be fine. Yeah, go watch. It'll it. be the best three minutes. <laughs> it'll probably be the best three to four minutes of your day. Anyway, I think greatest sports names working right now. And I, I, I'm really just concentrating on the NFL because I looked in baseball, and you know, baseball names are like Cooper Johnson. You know, and they're not, they're nothing terribly fancy for, for, for some reason. But although I did find Tink Hence, T-I-N-K, Tink Hence in, in baseball. He's a prospect for somebody. That's a pretty good name. And I like, I like Tank Dell, right? Uh, and a guy named Tank is like 5'7". Yeah. Yeah, he's out of Houston, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Little guy, but Tank Dell's a great name. But then I got two others that I just love. Number one is Easton Stick. Easton Stick, the backup quarterback for the Chargers, is. But I think I think his parents wanted a baseball player. That's right? exactly where my mind was going. <laughs> I'm thinking baseball guy, and you said football. I said, "Wow, that took a turn." <laughs> I know, and maybe he played baseball too. But I mean, you name your kid Easton Stick. I think you want a baseball player. That's a great name, though. I mean, it's just a great name. But then, hands down, for me. And I just saw, unfortunately, he, I, I think he tore his ACL, and I think he might be out for the season. But for the Cowboys, DeMarvian Overshone. DeMarvian Overshone. I, I, it's just, that's a great name. Yeah. That's a great name. It's a long name. If Key and Peel come back and do another one, I'm pretty sure DeMarvian Overshone's making the list. Yeah. For me, I think one of the greatest names in sports that I kind of go back to is, is DeBrickishaw, DeBrickishaw Ferguson. Um, I know he's been around for a little while, but it's just one of those names that you hear and you're like, what? Interesting. But, but do you, you know where that, where that name comes from? I don't, actually. That name is actually DeBrickishaw Ferguson is the character in The Thornbirds, uh, a novel by Colleen McCulloch and was actually then eventually also turned into a movie. So... DeBrickashaw Ferguson, not only a great offensive tackle for the New York Jets, also a great literary figure. Well, there you go. You learn something new every day. There you go. All right. Well, with DeBrickashaw Ferguson, we will call that a wrap on our quick hits for the day. This is a segment that we have been really looking forward to and I think we've talked about 
and has been at the heart of part of what this podcast was going to be since we started talking about it. And, and this segment is now about Millwall and the Millwall story. So, I agree with you. I think, I think this is something yep. that um, <laughs> we just kind of fell into this story. It was yeah, something that has actually taken on a life of its own between the two of us. Um, and it's been really interesting and it's something we talk about quite a bit now. And I yeah. even find myself talking to it with other people and they are yep. like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and, and for me, and I'll explain why in a minute, nobody wants to talk to me over here about this at all. Every time I bring this story up, <laughs> I just get, I get derided. People shake their head. I mean, I get people not quite pouring their beer on me in, in the pub, but I mean, they're just like, what are you, what? And, and okay, so here it is, right? So as I've said, last October, my wife and I moved to London. You know, we sold our house in St. Louis, and we made a little cross-country trip, and we stopped in, in Lubbock. We saw the family, and Dustin and I were hanging out, and Dustin's like, well, you know you need a football team, right? And, of course, football, soccer, right? You, you need a soccer team when you go to London. And he's like, who are you going to be a fan of? And, of course, I'm like, I, number one, I don't care, <laughs> right? Which is probably the worst thing to say as somebody living in the U.K., but... You know, up until that point, I, I had no vested interest. The one team I knew I could not root for was Arsenal because the owner of Arsenal is Stan Kroenke, who owned the St. Louis Rams, took him to L.A., and that's another story for another podcast. We'll bring Completely on some St. Story. Louis folks. <laughs> we'll bring on some St. Louis folks. And my buddy Louie, who I met at the pub, who even himself hates Stan Kroenke because of what he did uh, to the Rams. Anyway, that's a, that's a total side note. But anyway, I didn't have a football team. So I was like, I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I have no idea who I'm going to root for. So Dustin decided to choose a team for me. So Dustin, t t walk me through this. What, what happened here? Well, like you said, I was thinking you've got to have the, the biggest sport in the world. I mean, outside of America is soccer or football, right? And so mm -hmm. we've been talking sports you know, podcast for four years and I'm just thinking, well, you got to have somebody, right? I mean, somebody to talk about mm -hmm. whatever that looks like. So yes, to choose for you, um, my way of, of picking a team was go to Amazon mm -hmm. and look up soccer t-shirts. And I'm thinking, I'm just going to get you I'm a random team, just a shirt to wear, just to kind of, I just love the there. uniforms. I just love the uniforms. <laughs> right, exactly. You hear that quite a bit. And so I'm scrolling through and I see a shirt that says Millwall, no one likes us and we don't care. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, that's awesome. Not really understanding how true <laughs> that shirt really is. Yeah. Uh, because nobody likes Millwall. Um, well, Millwall fans like Millwall. Right. <laughs> Outside of that, and we'll get to that. But I'm thinking this is this is great. I'm gonna get this shirt, and here we are. And so I picked that, <laughs> and I'm like, we're gonna follow Millwall. This is what we're gonna do. And I kind of jump on board too, thinking I'll I'll ride along. I'll see what this looks like, and then you get to London, and well, well, actually, it was before that. 
I was still in I was still in Lubbock and you texted me and said it's gonna be Millwall. And I'm like, okay. I'd never heard of Millwall. So I look up Millwall. And I start reading about Millwall and I'm like, Dustin, I, I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> and, and 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 why is that? Uh, oh oh wise one, oh chooser of teams. Well, if you look into who Millwall is, um, they are one of the biggest hooligan teams. Mm-hmm. And if you know what a hooligan is, that's impressive. But mm-hmm. if you don't, a hooligan is a fan. Um, and they have, I, don't, I can't remember if, what you would call it, but it's, it's part of the, the soccer club. It's the um, firm. The firm. It's the firm. Yeah. And yep. within that firm, you have firms against firms, right? Mm-hmm. And you have the hooligans who, I guess they feel extremely invested into the team. And so it's ride or die Millwall or ride or you, die. You're being X. really nice about, about soccer hooligans. <laughs> uh, and you can expand on it too, but basically they, they like to fight each other. Um, yeah, and they can yeah. they can cause riots. I mean, there was a riot. I forget what year it was, where the police were involved. The Millwall firm was attacking the police. Other firms, oh, yeah. whoever got in their way, uh, and that's they're notorious for that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it. Their soccer team came secondary, <laughs> so <laughs> well, we. So I accidentally yeah. chose the team that was like <laughs> the most hated team in London. Well. It, and you found out there was a movie, right? There was a movie I didn't see. Green Street Hooligans. Yes. Green Street Hooligans yes. is is loosely so, based on Millwall, right? Against West Ham. Yes. West Ham yeah. was the other team well, in, yeah. in the show. Yeah. So and, and let's be clear, all of the major teams, Premier League, Championship League, League One, there's all they all have firms. And and it's not like hooliganism has only been an issue with Millwall. I mean, let's let's be real clear about that. There have been incidents, you know, of fans attacking fans, of riots at games for decades. And in fact, it got so bad back in the 70s and 80s that there was a period, I think it was about a three or four year period where English soccer fans were not allowed on the continent when any of their teams went, when any of the English teams went and played. Uh, I, I mean, there was like massive movements in you know, among uh, members of parliament to try to rein it in and, you know, bring civility. But of the groups that stand out, Millwall's hooligans are some of the worst. And, and I was, I started reading about this and I was just like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm not really sure I can, I'm not sure if this is the right team to be a part of. So I got to thinking, well, I'm in America, so I'm not, I'm fine. I'm not going to have <laughs> to worry safe. about it. So, so I'll just stick with the team. Um, but you going over there and having to be—I don't want to say a part of it—but at the same time, telling people this well, story and then them giving you these, uh, what are you talking about? No, you can't. Well, you can't. And, and 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 so and also to be clear, so Millwall has never been in the Premier League. They have they have been a a, a pretty pretty solid Championship League team. So that's the second tier for the last 10, 15 years. <clears throat> they've occasionally bumped down to League One, which is like the third tier, but they've been a pretty solid championship level team. They have not been in the top tier of English football since I think 97, 98. 
And they were only there for one year. And that was before it was the Premier League. I don't, I don't remember what it was called at that point. But they were in the top tier then. But <clears throat> they're not – they don't – they don't uh, They don't have a – I mean, they, they have a very loyal fan base. And they're based out of South London. And if you know anything about London, historically, East London and South London have been the rougher parts of, of London. I mean, it's kind of where, you know, more working class, you know, if you want to say less safe, although, frankly – I've been down in South London and, and in, you know, in East London, and it's not, I don't know, it's, it's not a rough neighborhood, I would say, in general. I mean, there's, there's spots all over London, of course, because that's, that's the way any big city is. But they're the boys from Bermondsey, right? And Bermondsey is a, is a little town down here in South London that is kind of uh, historically, again, kind of, kind of more industrial, working class, you know, not, not really highbrow. It's not Buckingham Palace. It's not... Kensington, it's not the you know the nice parts of London, and so the Millwall fans have this edge to them. But so I get here, and we start following Millwall, and when I land in October, Millwall wins four straight games after I get here, right? And all of a sudden, they're pushing for the playoffs for promotion into the Premier League, which hasn't happened in some time. Yeah, twenty-five years, right? And so, yeah, so I so people are like, well, who's your team? And I'm like, Millwall. <laughs> Without explanation, when I get asked in the office, who's your team? I'm like, Millwall. They're like, what? <laughs> and everybody here is like, you're joking, right? And I'm like, no. And, and I tell them the story. And they're like, you can't be a Millwall fan. I'm like, well, why not? They're like, look at you. You can't be a Millwall fan <laughs> was kind of the response. And so... What did I do? I leaned in. Oh, you've got to. At that point, you have to to lean in. Have to lean in. And what's great is that that was like one of the first questions. Who's your team? Oh, my first team meeting. My boss is like, who's your team? And I say, Millwall. And, you know, this is a a Zoom call, right? Or, you know, whatever. And everybody just shakes their head and like, what are you? Like, what are you? And I think half of them thought it was joking. And the other ones were just like disgusted. So... I was like, well, and that's kind of why I, I mean, I didn't know the full extent of it, but saying, Hey, you're moving to London. You got to pick a team. You didn't walk in going, well, I don't really have one. I mean, we kind of threw you into the boiling pot. We just said, here you go. Yeah. Yeah. And I got Millwall and, uh, and so we leaned in and we've been following Millwall and I mean, they broke our hearts at the end of last season. Right. Um, I mean, In, in a dramatic fashion, you're up at half. And then you three, just completely yeah, collapse, completely yeah. collapse. And, and again, for those who don't understand how British soccer works, you have multiple divisions. The top league is the Premier League. That's where Chelsea and Arsenal and Man City and all the, the handful of teams that anybody in America might know. Liverpool are, you know, they play in the Premier League. The second league below that is the Championship League. If you finish in the bottom three spots in the Premier League, you get relegated. You get bumped down to the next league below you. If you get in the top three spots of the championship league, you get promoted to the Premier League. And it's not even quite that simple, right? The top two, the top two teams in the championship league get automatically promoted. The next four teams, so teams three to six, have a playoff. And whoever wins that playoff, it's a, you know, it's a, you know, three against six, four against five, so two-round playoff. 
Whoever wins that playoff also gets promoted. Millwall comes into the final game of the season in fifth place, I think. Fifth or sixth. They're right on the edge. All they have to do is not lose. If they just if they draw the match, they're, they're going to be in the playoff. They're they in. come out, they jump out the last game of the season, they jump out to a 3-0 lead. They're playing like their hair is on fire. It's phenomenal. They give up one goal before, before half. It's 3-1 at halftime. And you still they feel comfortable. Out. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, a 3-1 lead Especially the way they is, had played. Absolutely. I mean, it was, they, they absolutely dominated the first half. They come in, second half, and they just collapse. Like they're the Cleveland Browns. I don't even know who. It's, I mean, it's, it was terrible. They give up three well, goals. They lose 4-3 right. at home. And it, it's one of those things that, you know, you, you hear in sports, don't, you don't want to play to not lose, like play to win. And it almost seemed like at, after half, they were just like, let's not lose, let's not lose. And yeah, they just, it, it was a complete collapse. Yeah, I mean, that, that end of the Millwall season was just tough, right? And, uh, but we're not giving up, are we? We're not giving up. No. I think we've kind of jumped in with both feet um, with weights on our ankles. Um, we, uh, As the boys in Bermondsey and the firm would have it. Exactly. I think it's one of those things, I, and I know I definitely have. I've got, I now have, I think, four T-shirts, and um, I guess you can call me a T-shirt fan in America. But yeah. I, it's, it's been fun, and I'm actually learning about the game um, itself. And... Uh, it, it's kind of interesting to to follow and be a part of, but especially the team that is probably most hated over there. I mean, I mean, we're listening to Millwall podcast, right? Uh, I yes, mean, we are. We're all we're all in, you know. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't have the gear in part because I'm not sure I have the guts to wear it. Although I probably should. I'm, I'm sure. Not. I want to say I'm sure nothing would happen. But I'm not sure nothing would happen, to be honest, because people care about this stuff around here. I mean, and and I, I mean, nobody's gonna be, nobody's gonna see me and think I'm trying to prove a point or anything. But on the street, nobody's coming at me. But <clears throat> I don't know. And and I just gotta say, I think if I if I did get Millwall gear, I don't believe my wife would go out with me in public if I was wearing it. So I don't know. But they well, that's that would yeah. be interesting because I if I ever did come to visit i absolutely would wear the gear 100 <laughs> and we'd go to the there's den n- we there's no we doubt. gotta go to the den yeah well we would but at the same time i'd still wear it out wherever we're going no i'm sure <laughs> just to, just <laughs> yeah. to get the looks <laughs> no oh man that's gonna be quite a trip to the pub right there my friend that will be something so but yeah so i referenced the den the den is the stadium where they play it's a great stadium great atmosphere You'll hear a clip here in a minute of what the den sounds like because uh, the Millwall fans, they show up. They care. I mean, these are people who love their football and, you know, they live and die with their team. And unfortunately, with Millwall, it's I don't want to say it's more dying than living, but there's hope. But then there's also just realism. I don't there's very few Millwall fans that I have encountered or, you know, in podcasts I've listened to or people who talk about Millwall who really think Millwall's going to be a Premier League team. 
But I think and in I've the back the of their mind, thing. in the back of their mind, I think they want nothing more than to be up there with the big boys. So we'll see. Millwall, baby, till we Millwall. die. That's right. Live no or die. You know, yeah, no one likes care. us. We don't care. Nope, absolutely. just a little taste of the den for you the sounds of millwall and, and so far today what we've tried to do is you know uh bring in a little bit of uh, both american sports a little bit of british sports and that's really kind of actually the overarching theme of this episode is sort of the clash of cultures idea and something we've talked about a few times on this show already just in passing is the difference in like pub culture and bar culture and in the uk you have bars, you have cocktail bars, plenty of them in London and in other, other big cities. But then you have pubs. And the pubs are, I mean, you know, it comes from the word public house. And old school, and in still, frankly, a lot, of the, a lot of the towns of England, a lot of the pubs are still actually hotels. So you'll have a pub, what we would think of as kind of a bar restaurant in, the, in America, with then rooms over the top. So a lot of them are still both like pubs, a gathering place, and inns that are, you know, kind of combined. But it's also the place where people will stop in for a pint after work. People will gather uh, for dinner. So it's, it, it's really a central gathering place. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But so, so Dustin, pubs in America, not really, not really a thing, right? No, it's not really a thing. Like we've mentioned before, we have bars here in Lubbock. In Lubbock well, in America. Um, <laughs> but, you know, a lot of them have bar restaurants. So you walk in, you've mm -hmm. got the restaurant part of it, and then you've got the area that is just the bar. Now they still right. serve the food and things like that, but it's going to be a lot smaller than sure. the rest of the restaurant. Um, well, and, and, and to, be fair, to be fair, you've got the whole bar and grill right is is a type of restaurant where the bar is a little more central right, right. but even in but nicer restaurants like steakhouses you'll typically get a nice bar up front that's a smaller kind of waiting area or gathering place right and it's typically if you are waiting on somebody you go up to the bar grab a drink mm -hmm. go back sit down and wait um and then there are the bars right and that's mm -hmm. where you get some of the the locals or the the regulars that come in um just to hang out and that's you know what they do frequently um which is going to be different than your your bar and restaurant grill what what are some of the good good bars that you know of in lubbock you got you got what's the bar scene like in lubbock um i haven't been in a little while but there you know the, everybody has kind of their own go to mm -hmm. um what what we used to do is um there's a bar here called Shotzi's. um mm -hmm. they've kind of turned it into a Subtle. little bit they got food <laughs> right they've got food there now um and you know you can go in and eat but you walk in and there's like four tables 
on your right. But then the rest of the, the place is just a bar that you mm-hmm. kind of belly up to. And they have, I think, two pool tables. Again, I haven't been in a while, but sure. um, that was kind of the place you just go sit at the bar. They've got TVs everywhere. You can kind of go in and watch your, your sporting events and things like that. But we do have a place here that uh, me and a buddy would go to quite frequently called Cap Rock. But that, again, that's a bar and mm-hmm. grill as well. We just go sit down uh, for, for hours and, and mm-hmm. drink and um, just watch the games uh, frequently. Yeah, so, so like in America, you've got like the sports bar, right? And that's kind of a thing that's emerged in the last 20 years probably, right? With a, a much more specific, it's a bar, but it's really about like the 50 screens on the walls that are showing like every possible sporting event, right? Right. And, but like the bar that you mentioned, right? Shotzi's, which that's a good name. I gotta, gotta admit, give it up for Shotzi's. I don't know if any, you know, frequenter of Shotzi's might happen to hear this episode. If you do, good on you. Would you and Angela go to Shotzi's? Shotzi's a place where you would go with your girlfriend, your wife. To answer that question, we have been, yes. Okay. Um, But it's more of, it's midnight. We don't really have anywhere else to go. And okay. then it's, uh, they also have karaoke as well. So you get to go oh, listen wow. to uh, people <laughs> sing that have had 15 beers. And so is that you or kinda... Angela doing the karaoke? I Actually, neither one of us. We, we love the oh, people okay. watch. Yeah. So that gives us yeah, the yeah, opportunity yeah. to, to kind of sit there and people watch. So, and, but and I would say way, we've I... probably been twice. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So, okay. So in general, so when people, when people are going there, are they, they're just, their buddies hanging out or they're local people, but not families, right? No. Yeah. And it's typically going to be your buddies um, or kind of, like I said, you know, date night, but probably not going to be your first date. It's probably, we've been together a couple <laughs> years. Um, yeah, yeah, let's yeah. go, let's go end the night here. Yeah. And, yeah. and go from there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I've, I've mentioned the alibi. I think it was last episode. I talked about the alibi, which was a local bar, which called itself a sports bar, but it was a dive bar. And, you know, in, in America, again, you've got different types of bars, but you've got like, res- I don't, <laughs> I don't want to say respectable because not that a dive bar is not respectable, but, you know, you have a bar that is a, a, a local bar that locals will go to. People go and hang out. Sometimes couples will come in, but, I mean, at the Alibi, it was pretty much people would meet up, they'd have a few drinks, but then there was then there was the guys who were there literally every time I was there. And so, I mean, my, my buddy Tony and I, we'd meet maybe one, not even once a week, probably two or three times a month, we'd meet at the Alibi. And I swear, every single time I was in there, there were three guys that I saw every single time that just happened to be there, oh, by the way, on this Monday, or oh, by the way, on this Thursday, or oh, by the way, on this Tuesday. Which means they're in there every night, right? Um, at the local watering hole, right? And and it really is a place to go and drink. I mean, that's what it is. They do have food, but people are there to drink and generally right. drink a lot. Yeah. And this is where, and I, you know, I, look, I knew this about the UK before we moved over here, but the pub culture is almost 100% the opposite of that. And now, hear me out. It's not like people don't go there to drink because people do go there to drink. But, but there's, a, there's this pub just down the road from us called the Thirsty Bear. And it's, I mean, it's a pub. It, you know, you walk in 
and there's the bar, and they got the, but they serve food, and and that's one thing I think that really delineates. And one of the big differences is almost every single pub serves food, and not just you know chicken wings, but like a legit. They almost all have a full menu, but we go into the Thirsty Bear. We'd been out one day, and we we'd been out most of the day. It was I think it was a Saturday or something. We come home. It's five or six o'clock. We sit down. We're like, well, let's stop and have something to drink before we go home. We we grab a pint. We sit down. There's a couple in there, 85 years old probably. I mean, <laughs> an old couple, a husband and wife, sitting there. They're having a pint together. <laughs> They're just sitting there together drinking a beer. And then they go, and then they order food, and they have dinner, right? Another one we went to, when we first moved here, we were, we, we were staying over, actually, in old school Millwall territory in an area called the Isle of Dogs. We had, we had a flat that we rented for a couple of weeks. And we walk down, and there's a, there's a local pub, and we walk in. We sit down. We start having a couple, a couple of beers. And there's literally a family next to us, a husband and wife and two, two girls, probably, I don't know, 12, 14 years old. They're sitting there doing their homework. They're in there and they're hanging out and the family's just hanging out. And, but they're not eating dinner. So it wasn't like, you know, we took the family to Chili's or we, or we went to the Macaroni Grill or name, name your Olive Garden, right? It's just the pub. But the pub is a place where everybody comes. And... It, 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 and, and, I, and I think, and, you know, and even you know, being connected to some of the British culture, there's a lot of concern that a lot of pubs are being um, you know, kind of driven out of business be, you know, because you have large breweries that are buying up lots of them and you know, they're turning into more of a, a, you know, a bigger endeavor. I think COVID was really, really hard on the pubs. I think something like a thousand pubs across England closed. And and frankly, the alcohol tax here is really high and it's getting higher. And I think there's another threat and concern that that's gonna impact, impact the pubs. But, and the other big piece of this, and, and just again, a, 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 a for instance on how this is different, almost every pub here, and frankly, almost every restaurant in the UK does a Sunday roast. Do you know what a Sunday roast is, Dustin? I do not. I could take a guess at it, but I don't know if I'd even be close to right. Well, now, fairly, you were raised in a church-going family as kids, is, is right? Is it like a potluck type thing? It's not a potluck, but it's, you know, think about the old kind of stereotypical joke of, you know, you, you throw the roast in the crock pot, you head off to church, you come back and you eat it. And, and in some respects, that is the origin of the Sunday roast. But in the UK... The Sunday roast is going to be, you know, uh, like a roast beef or chicken or, you know, there's oftentimes vegetarian options now, which is a little weird. You've got some potatoes and some cabbage. You've got the Yorkshire pudding, which is not pudding for those of you in America. It looks like a, like a flat dinner roll. Um, <clears throat> literally every pub in the UK, it seems, has Sunday roast. And... And people go to Sunday roast. And it's like the same place where you meet your, your mates after work for a couple of pints throughout the week is the same place that whole families go for, for dinner or, or afternoon lunch for Sunday roast. And it, it really sort of cements that kind of cultural difference in, in the way that, I don't know, I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, it's... It, it's drinking and look, Brits drink. Okay, I mean, 
people in, drink a lot of beer over here, right? Uh, among other things. But um, so it, it, it's it's both the the bar, the culture, the hangout with your 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 buddies, but it's also families. It's also centers of community that. I don't think there's really anything like that in the U.S. No, and you bring up the family aspect of it. It's, you know, if I was going to the bar, I'd probably not go to the, you know, the the bar setting with my family. No. Right? I'm going to go to a restaurant that may have a bar, but it's sure. not going to be, be the exact same. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and also in America, you have what, you know, we call bar hopping. And so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. You go into the bar, get a couple drinks, go to the next bar, get a couple drinks, go to the next bar, get a couple drinks, and you're not really solidifying yourself at one location and staying there. You're really just kind of hopping around and, and going different places. Well, and to be fair, they do that here too. <laughs> there, have been, there have been nights where, uh, you know, we went after work and we went to one pub and went to another pub and went to another pub. You know, uh, so there's that. And, and I also referenced Millwall or the Bermondsey Boys. Bermondsey is famous for what's called the Bermondsey Beer Mile, which is a whole string of like microbreweries that are built under the train tracks down in Bermondsey. And you can, it, it's quite a pub crawl. I did it about three weeks ago with, uh, with a friend and it was uh, quite a pub crawl. I will say that much. Nice. Well, and so, th- I mean, I guess with those two things being similar, um, you've got the the opportunity to, to kind of bring those two together. But the, I think the differences um, are fairly drastic. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, you, you talking about the family portion of it and just like a community type thing um, mm-hmm. where here it's just a, a, a place to kind of go hang out for a little bit. Yeah. And I think, most people who have who are like lifelong Londoners, certainly, or if you're living in other case in other places around the country that are smaller, they have everybody has their local pub, and and it's it's the place where they go, and it's just and they don't necessarily all drink, but I would say I <laughs> I have tried to pay attention, and I walk into the local pub, and I mean everybody's drinking something, right? Which might be uh, a, a, another tell of one of the differences between. Uh, British culture and American culture in some respects, but it's, um, it's a very, you know, it's, it's just a different feel and, uh, uh, something I think, you know, not that I, again, wasn't wholly unaware of it when I moved over here. Um, but there, and, and, and I also, I came across the ultimate story this week of drinking in sports. <clears throat> and I, I, this is the ultimate D4 story. I think that I found at this point, And that was, the Women's World Cup Final. This weekend, the Women's World Cup Final was contested, and it was contested in Australia, and England was in it. England was in the final against Spain, ended up losing the game, but really good game, one nothing in classic soccer form. But <clears throat> the, the bigger point was that the reason this came to my attention, and this was actually written, the story was posted on Politico, which is a politics website. But here's the thing. The UK has very strict liquor laws and pubs have a very narrow window in which they can serve alcohol. And they can't start serving, at least on a Sunday, when the game was being played before 11 o'clock. Well, the game was at 11 o'clock. And so 
there was a movement within the pub owners of England to try to get the licensing law changed for that day so that they could start serving their patrons at 10 o'clock. Because, as we talked about last week, you have to pregame, right? <laughs> you have to pregame. The only way to get that changed was an act of parliament to get a change on a nationwide scale. And so you actually had, there's like an organization, like a, some organization that like the national pub organization in the UK that literally tried to get the prime minister to call parliament back to session to pass a law to actually allow them to serve beer starting at 10 o'clock. Well, you got to start at 10 so that it flows more at 11, like you stated. Well, that's exactly right. Because, I mean, everybody wants to come to the pub and before the game, and you gather with your, t- your friends before the game, and then you watch the game. But literally, it's an attempt to pass a law to call Parliament so that we can pregame. That's what and it was. That, like you said, the ultimate D4 story, because that's bringing sports and, and the drinking together. And let's just say at 10 o'clock in the morning. I mean, if that's <laughs> 10 not o'clock in the morning. I mean, that's, that's, that's something for sure. Yeah. 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 And and ultimately, Rishi Sunak, who's the prime minister, said no and didn't. And, and I... I honestly don't know what all the pubs did. They had to apply for emergency licenses and was all this crazy rigmarole, but I'm sure everybody was fine. Everybody lived, but... I'm sure they sold enough. Yeah. I don't think there was any shortage of pints that were doled out on Sunday at the World Cup final. You'll never make me woke. You'll never make me woke. Woke. You'll never make me woke. Coming into the home stretch of episode four, we're going to wrap it up here. We're going to take a uh, do a little bit of a, a segment here where we're going to ask each other some questions. And again, we haven't we haven't teed these up. I don't know what Dustin's going to ask me. He doesn't know what I'm going to ask him. And uh, we'll kind of put a bow on this week with uh, with, with these questions. So, Dustin, you you uh, go ahead and go first. What uh, what do you got for me? All right. Uh, first question I have for you is. We're going to take sports in general, okay? okay? I want you to give me your all-time five, not greatest, but your favorite athletes. Ooh, five. That's a lot. Oh, goodness. I was trying to give you well, some I options. Have... What's that? Well, yeah. No, I appreciate it. Uh, well, so let me go back to my childhood, and I'll go with Earl Campbell as, as one of them. Just an absolute beast, right? Bruising, bruising running back, right? That was just phenomenal, right? And uh, one of the guys who certainly turned me on to football early on. I'm going to go Roger Clemens. Uh, Roger Clemens. And, you know, I mean, a long, long-time Red Sox fan, and I know there's plenty of critique to be leveled about Clemens and the steroid question. Uh, is it really a question? Steroid usage, right, toward the end of his career. But, man, he came up when he was in 86 and – Striking out 20 guys, um, you know, an anchor for the Red Sox for so many years, and then went on and, and you know, and had great end of his career also with that other team in pinstripes and, uh, and the Blue Jays as well. Um, those two, uh, ah, yeah, I got to go Tom Brady. I mean, as a Patriots fan, hard to just not, I mean, so many great moments, right? The, from the undefeated season that didn't quite close it out to, um, 
you know, 28-3 and the comeback against Atlanta. Uh, hard I think you've not... seen that game about seven times, right? <laughs> yeah, well, at least the second half anyway. I've, right. I've watched that a handful of times. So that's three. Uh, ah, goodness. It's tough. It's hard to, it's hard to choose. Gretzky, I've got to go Gretzky. When I was a kid, uh, you know, in, in my from uh, 12 to 15 is when Gretzky was just so dominant with the Oilers back in the 80s. And USA Network back in uh, was just starting to show hockey. And they showed the Oilers all the time. And I watched so much of Gretzky and his run. And he, I mean, just phenomenal, just truly phenomenal hockey. Brilliant to watch. And and then I'll go Tiger Woods. And, I, you know, look, I'm staying mainstream. I'm not pulling out anybody. But Tiger Woods changed golf. I mean, and I was a golf fan. I started paying attention to golf, uh, you know, kind of late high school, early college. So late 80s. So Greg Norman, Nick Price, uh, Nick Faldo, these guys growing up. And then Tiger comes on. And, I mean, Tiger was just much see, must-see TV. Tiger, I, I don't know what it is. Because you, you just never knew what he was going to do. And, you know, even, even when he played rounds that were pedestrian and he didn't deliver with greatness, you just, you always thought he was gonna. And something about him was just compelling to watch. And so, yeah, I'm going to go with those five. I, I, I would have gotten three of your five. Which ones? Uh, I would have got Clemens, okay. Brady, and yep. Gretzky. Okay. And then I honestly thought you were going to go Greg Norman. Oh, Okay. Norman was great, but I mean, I mean, Tiger I, yeah. came along. When I, I knew was you were college, gonna throw a golf man, guy and, in there. Yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. All right, question for you. And I'm kind of laughing because I'm, I'm really genuinely curious to see how you respond to this. NBA just announced its schedule. Are you excited? No. <laughs> <laughs> To be honest, um, I look. I'm an NBA guy. Um, I I watch it all the time. I follow it, but it's not something that I'm gonna go. Oh man, who we got? You know, in November on the second <laughs> Thursday, and because it's not gonna mean anything. I mean, I guess it kind of does. But when does the NBA season start? I thought it started on. Well, it starts on Christmas Day. There you go. That's right. Right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. I'm not going to yeah. look, you know, in yeah. November, you know, the first half of the season. Um, yeah. So <laughs> as much of a basketball guy as I am, and I am an NBA guy, I'm not a, a schedule guy. I'm not. Yeah. I got to see who we've got. What is it going to look like moving forward? I mean, we're not going 82-0, and 0, and by we, I'm talking about Phoenix. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or anybody, yeah. Right, exactly. Um, So the the short answer to that question is no. Well, and and I I really asked the question because I think we've talked about it a lot of how incredible the NFL has done at making the draft a big deal, right? And at making the schedule release a big deal, right? I mean, and and yet the NBA comes out and, oh, the schedule's out and, eh, okay. Well, I mean... If you're going to play against your conference opponents, you play them, I don't know, four to six times a season in the NFL, yeah. you 
you play them twice, but then it's who else do we have that we haven't played in a few years? Are we going there? Yeah. Are we staying home? How does that look? So yeah. it is a little little more intriguing for the NFL than it is the NBA. Well, and it's shorter season, right? I mean, it's much easier to make 17 games exciting than 82, right? No, no question about it. So right. All right, you got another question for me. Um. So you did not mention anybody in the NBA for mm. you know one of your top your top five mm-hmm. athletes, and I'm yeah. Um, and I know you're you're really you don't follow it that much, but you did say you were kind of a homer um, mm-hmm. with the, the Bay Area team. What is your take on the Bay Area teams ultimately trying to go elsewhere? And not Bay Area, mainly Oakland. Yeah, well, sure. Uh, although, let's face it, the 49ers play in Santa Clara, which, which is 45 is not, minutes to an hour away. Yeah, it's not San Francisco, I mean, at all, right? Um, they used to play in Candlestick Park, right? Or um, <clears throat> whatever they called it, something at some, such and such at Candlestick Point, uh, which was actually in San Francisco. But. Yeah, I, so growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area, my take was always there was so much stuff going on that everybody had their fans, but it was never enough to really move the whole area, right? Like you never had a movement or a team that captured everybody, in, in part because you had Raiders fans and Niners fans. And so when the Niners were great in the 80s, all the Raiders fans hated the Niners because we just hated the Niners. You had the A's and Giants. And so if the Giants were doing really well, you couldn't root for the Giants if you were an A's fan because you were an A's fan. And, you know, you have Cal Stanford. You have th- that, same, that same sort of thing. There's no single team. And, and, I, and I say that because when I moved to St. Louis in 1999, the summer of 1999, we moved to St. Louis, which, of course, is Cardinals heaven, right? It's baseball town. But that was the year the Rams and Kurt Warner showed up. And I have never in my life seen anything like that town in 1999 when they went on to win the It was the greatest show on turf. It was the greatest show on turf. And it was, I mean, we get to November and every clerk in every store is wearing a Rams jersey. Every car has little Rams flags flying from it. You get to the playoffs we literally, we turned the news on. The first 20 minutes of the news story was the Rams. And my wife and I are looking to the, like, what, is there literally nothing else happening in the world? And you would have thought there was genuinely nothing else happening. I've never experienced anything like it before or since, really. And, and I would just say that would never happen in the Bay Area. And so, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, in a, in a metro area like that, and I think this is a West Coast phenomenon, too, because I think this is the same story in L.A., right? It's the, the same reason that Los Angeles has, has had a really hard time supporting an NFL team, historically, is that there's just so many other things to do. There's so many people. There's so many. There's multiple teams that no one team is going to unite everybody. And so if you're not doing well, like the, like the Raiders, you know, haven't been great. The A's have not been great. And so now the fans stop coming. The team's not making money. They're like, we go to Vegas. We're the only game in town. We're going to, you know, we're so close enough to 
for people in Oakland to go, hey, let's go to Vegas for the weekend, watch the game. Um, I'm not surprised. Um, sad, but not surprised. You know, I wish right. I wish that they would support the teams better, but that's just the way life is. Right. And I think you kind of hit the, the nail on the head, too, with it being so congested with sports is you are divided. The Giants and the A's, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, it just makes it difficult and you can't go root for the other team if they're playing well and you're not, because then that's mm-hmm. just a stance you don't want to take. Right. So no, you don't do that. Um, I, I think I agree with you in the sense that it, it may have been a little too congested. And, and frankly, there's just so many people who just don't care about sports, you know. True. And, and when there's not one team, and I, you live in Lubbock, right? I mean, Texas Tech is the heart of the heartbeat of Lubbock. I think you'd probably agree with that. The, the university, I yeah. I mean, you know, and, and it's not just the sports; it's the whole university, the university culture. I mean. Lubbock is what, 200,000 people, 250,000 people now? Uh, I think it's close to 300. Okay. All right. So, you know, a, a medium-sized town. I mean, it's still kind of a small city, right? But Texas Tech is the heartbeat of that town. And so mm-hmm. everybody gets behind it. Well, you know, in the Bay Area, when you have 10 or 12 or 15 million people in the, in the broader area, if you really define it, San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose, and extended areas... You know, you've got so many people and half of them just don't care. And there's not that one team that unifies everybody. So right. I think it's just a different experience of sports in, in cities like that. Unless you're just a big fan, right? And, and if you're a big fan, then you love your team and you live and die with them, right? Right. All right. I got one more for you. This is a little tricky, but I saw this on social media today. And I think this is pretty interesting. It says... You have 10 at-bats, not just pitches, 10 full at-bats against a major league pitcher, right? A foul tip, you get 100 bucks. A ball in play, you get 1,000 bucks. A base hit, $10,000. And a home run, a million dollars. 10 at-bats, how much money are you walking away with? All right, my, my buddy Ryan is going to love this question. <laughs> Let me do the math real fast. So I've got 10 at-bats, okay? And I'm, I'm kind of following what you said in regard to just tipping the ball, ball sure. and play. Yep. Zero dollars. You think zero? Yeah, you don't think I, you can even make contact? No. And, and and the reason for that, man, growing up, you know, we talked early on about what we did, you know, in, in the yard playing football, baseball, yeah. whatever that looked yeah, like, yeah. right? Um, I am terrible and I mean absolutely terrible <laughs> at, at batting. Okay. Um, we used to have, we'd go out to the park um, and we'd have an outfielder, a pitcher, and then, and then the batter. And if the batter missed it, right, they'd go pick it up from yeah. the fence and throw it back to the pitcher. Yeah. When I would bat, they just did it to be nice and we'd have the pitcher, batter, <laughs> catcher because I got tired nice. of chasing the ball. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, could I accidentally? Yeah, I may make 100 or 200 if I got lucky. But to be honest with you, that's one of the, the things in sports that I'm terrible, I mean, absolutely terrible at. Yeah. Um, that and golf. So both of those <laughs> require some good hand-eye coordination, and apparently I don't have that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, I played a little bit of baseball growing up, and but I, boy, I mean, if I made contact with two or three pitches... I'd be pretty happy. I mean, right. 
you know, I just, yeah, I, I, I understand the difference between mere mortals and professionals in, in this sports. And, uh, well, you, you know this. I mean, I went to church with Andy Bennis in St. Louis, you know, a major league pitcher. And, uh, you know, I, I taught at a school where he, you know, his kids went and, and he was a huge supporter. And they had a day where, you know, there was one time it was like, oh, you know, kind of a fundraiser thing. He'd get out and, oh, Andy will pitch to you. And some of the people were like, oh, come on, throw me a real one. And he was just like, no. <laughs> he just like, no, I'm, I'm not gonna. You know, and, you know, I mean, he was out of his career at that point. So could he probably deal 95? Probably not. But he knows that he would just probably scare the... <laughs> yeah, you jump backwards. Out of, oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I yeah. saw, I actually saw something where um, there was a former major league pitcher... And he got 10 of the, I guess, top prospects that were going to college for baseball. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm going to give you a few days, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring you into the batting cages and I'm going to throw to you. I'm a major league pitcher or was, you are just coming out of high school. Yeah. I want to see how you do. And it was one of those, like the pitch would come by him and they'd start laughing and they're like, how did you do that? Yeah. And yeah. I mean that, and that's guys that are top prospects against right. major league pitching. So right. for me, yeah. being a D four athlete, yeah. I mean, I'm going to, I'm jumping backwards. So, yeah. And I was thinking, <laughs> well, I'd square a bunt, but then I was like, no chance I'd square a bunt. Uh, pff, not, no chance. I would be, I would be petrified to square around a bunt against those guys. So, I mean, I'm, I'm probably optimistic to think I'd actually make any contact, but I'd like to think, one out of 30, one out of 35 pitches. I mean, just, I like just stick the I bat could... out in the strike yeah, zone well, area yeah. and hope, like, and hope it check, hits A it. check swing, right? Something, but I don't know. Right. Well, that's so. D4, baby. That's, that's living the D4 life right there. So, that's right. All right. Well, I think with that, we're going to call it a week. Looking forward to next week diving into the fantasy world. Uh, we're probably going to start getting uh, a little deeper into some of our approaches to fantasy sports, uh, daily fantasy, season long. Uh, we'll talk about uh, probably a little bit of both. But uh, thanks for listening. Dustin, you got any, uh, any words for our fans out there? Uh, not at this point. I appreciate you guys listening to us, and uh, hopefully it continues. Absolutely. Thanks very much. Until next time, D4 Sports, day drinking. Don and Dust. D4 Sports is brought to you by Don and Dustin and by our sponsors, Sports and Day Drinking. Special thanks go to Trey Klein for providing the music behind D4 and all our friends and family for supporting us throughout this episode.